Thank you for joining us today. We'll be concluding our study of the book of Matthew. We'll be discussing Jesus' resurrection and the Great Commission. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, we'll begin our lesson. Father in heaven, we just appreciate the love that you continue to show to us on a daily basis. We thank you for the gift of your son and what it means to us in terms of the forgiveness of our sins and our salvation. And we thank you for your word and what you reveal, continually reveal to us in your word. It's just amazing. Every time we look at it, we learn something new. And the Holy Spirit says you're ready to learn more. So we just ask that the Holy Spirit work with us today. I know the Holy Spirit is present here with all of us living in and through us. Just open our mind to what you would want each one of us to learn and help us then apply that to our lives in a way that we reflect you to others. I also ask that you speak through me and speak through all those who speak up today, Father, so it's your word and not ours, and don't let us lead anyone astray inadvertently. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are wrapping up the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in it for quite some time. I can't remember, but it's been at least 28 weeks. So we're in chapter 28. And before I begin, just let me set this up a little bit, remind everybody where we are. Last time we discussed and went over how Matthew has written about Jesus's death and burial. So when we left off last time, Jesus is in the tomb. That's where we left off. And now as we come into the last chapter of Matthew, this is really the climax. This is not only the climax of Matthew's gospel, it's the climax of the gospel itself because this is the resurrection of Christ that we're going to be studying. And we know without the resurrection of Christ, we have no Christianity. You can go look at 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 17, and it basically says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then neither will we. And if that didn't happen, then our faith is useless. When you think about Christianity, it's the only religion where God, the founder of our religion, actually claims to be God. And then not only claimed to be God, but proved he was God by rising again from the dead. And so without Christ's resurrection, we've got nothing than what everybody else has. It follows whatever other religions they want. Doesn't matter if it's Joseph Smith or Buddhism or whoever. They've got a dead person, you know, in a tomb somewhere. Christianity is the only religion where God said, you've got a sin problem and you'll never get right with me trying to do it on your own. So I'm going to solve that problem for you. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross, be buried and rise again on the third day to pay the debt for your sins and return and be seated at the right hand of the father to show that his sacrifice was acceptable to the father. And all you have to do is accept that gift just like if I offered my watch to you as a gift, it's not yours unless you take it. You have to receive that gift. And when you do, your sins are forgiven and you're promised eternal life. All other religions, you're just trying to do whatever the founder or the so-called prophet says that you got to do to hopefully maybe get right with God. This is the climax. This is the real foundation of our belief. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now late on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, so it's late on Saturday, it's just about Sunday, which is, by the way, why Christians worship on Sunday, not Saturday. So that's the timing. 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. So this other Mary, most likely, as we discussed last time, when you go up and look at verse 56 of Matthew 27, we discussed this last time. Most likely, this is Mary, who is the mother of James and Joseph. Also, I wanted to point out, when you go and look at Mark 16.1, you also learn that Salome was there as well. That's the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee. And there was another woman there named Joanna. You can look at that in Luke 24.10. Luke's gospel is the only one who mentions Joanna. I'll leave you with that. So there's just women here, and they're going to look at the grave. They're going to actually be the first to witness the resurrection of Christ. In fact, Mary Magdalene will be the absolute first that Jesus appears to. We see that in John 20, 11, and we may go look at that in a minute. We'll see death is the door to eternal life. They're going to look at the grave thinking that Jesus is inside the grave. They probably don't know that it's been sealed. They probably don't know that there's guards out there, but they're going maybe to anoint Jesus. They're going to look at the grave. Verse 2, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. So it didn't occur while they were there. It had occurred prior to their arrival. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So this is the second earthquake. Remember, there was an earthquake that we discussed when Jesus was on the cross. As we read about the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb, it took several men to even roll that stone into place. Yet, it just took one angel to move the stone. The angel didn't move the stone. Some people get confused. They think the angel had to move the stone to let Jesus out. Well, we know Jesus, because we see in his resurrection, he could walk through closed and locked doors. He didn't need the stone to be moved to let him out. In fact, he was already gone. The stone was moved by the angel to let others in so that they could see that Jesus had been risen from the dead. Verse 3, and his appearance, talking about the angel, was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So these guards, you remember we talked about this last time in chapter 27, verse 65. These are most likely Jewish guards that the Jewish leaders put there. They're probably not Roman soldiers. Don't know that for sure, but when you look at the text, when they went and asked Pilate to put guards in front of the tomb so somebody wouldn't steal the body, Pilate told them, you have guards, you go seal it. So it's more likely that these are guards that were put there by the Jewish leaders, and they fainted or they were unconscious due to fear. At least it says they're completely traumatized by what they're seeing. They're like dead men. Verse 5, And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. So see, that's why the tomb was opened up, to let them in to come see where Jesus had been lying. The entire Trinity participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not there anymore. Let me just look at these real quick for you. I'll flip over to John 10, 18 real quick and show you that. John 10, 18 says, this is Jesus talking. No one has taken it away from me, talking about his life, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. 
So this is Jesus saying they didn't capture him and kill him against his will. He did this on his own. He gave his own life. Then a verse for you to see where the Father also participated in the resurrection of Jesus. I'll turn you to, I've got several verses, but I'll just turn you to Galatians real quick. I'll flip over there real quick for us. It is Galatians 1.1, and it says, this is Paul writing, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying the Father is who raised Jesus from the dead. So that's the first person of the Trinity. If you're taking notes, you want a couple other verses to look up to support that. You can look at Romans 6.4 as well as 1 Peter 1.3. And then the Holy Spirit, I'll turn you to Romans 8.11. And I'll look at that real quick and read it for us. Romans 8.11 says, But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells in you. So we have all three persons of the Holy Trinity participating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the text. They go in to see where he was lying. And then verse seven, now the angel tells them and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, you'll remember when we were in Matthew 26, I pointed out to you that the disciples are going to be told several times to go meet Jesus in Galilee. Jesus stated that, told them before his death and burial to go. That's in Matthew 26, 32. We looked at that. So they've been told now twice, go meet Jesus in Galilee. When he rises from the dead, that's where he would meet them. Verse 8, and they, being the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. So the disciples, they were hiding out in Jerusalem. They're not like these women. If anything we can take away from this, you see the women, they try to stay close to Jesus. They even go to the tomb. And I think one thing we can see is the closer you stay connected to Jesus, you're going to witness God's power and see his work. These women were with Jesus at his crucifixion. It appears in reading the Gospels that all the disciples other than John had fled, weren't even at the crucifixion. So they're all hiding out in Jerusalem. So these women depart quickly, hold your place here and go with me over to John 20 because I want to kind of fill in a little more detail at this point. Go over to John chapter 20, verse 1. And we studied this when we were studying John, but just while we're here, I want to fill in a few things that John brings a little more detail to. So I'll begin in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, again, so this is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. Okay, so the other disciple is John, is the writer of this gospel. That's who we're talking about. And the two, meaning Peter and John, were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. 
And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So a very intentional act that this was over somewhere different. It appears whatever happened, it wasn't like somebody rushed in there to steal the body and took all the time to intentionally roll these two things up separately. Verse 8, then the other disciple entered into the tomb also, who had first come to the tomb, and he saw and believed. So now reality is setting in. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they still don't fully understand They need the Holy Spirit to help them understand this. Maybe they thought he was alive, but they don't really know why. Verse 10, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, we'll see in verse 18, was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, so it's Sunday night, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So he goes in, the doors shut, locked. He gets in there without the doors being open. Verse 20, And when he, Jesus, said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, this is all the disciples are here other than Thomas. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this is before Pentecost, which is going to happen about 50 days later. So this is probably a temporary sending of the Holy Spirit to enable them to understand Jesus's resurrection because they're going to actually receive the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that, assuming we have time in Acts, where they receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then indwells in them permanently as Christians. I could go on, but I'll just leave it at that for today's discussion. So go back over to Matthew 28, verse 11. And this is the women are going back to go tell the disciples. Now, while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. 
So this is interesting. These guards that we still don't know for sure if they were Roman guards or guards of the Jewish leaders. It is interesting that they go to the chief priest, which would even be more indication that they're reporting to the chief priest rather than being Roman guards. In any event, Pilate would be furious that Jesus is lost. That's probably why it says only some of the guard went into the city and went to the chief priest. They probably feared for their lives that Jesus had been lost, and so they risked death for losing Jesus. So they go to the religious leaders, and it says, verse 12, And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, meaning Pilate, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. Now, isn't this interesting that this is the most ridiculous story that you could ever come up with? Because, first of all, they're saying, well, we were asleep and they stole the body. Well, if they were asleep, how do they know it was the disciples? If you're asleep, you wake up and the body's gone. You don't know who stole them. So, number one, that's a ridiculous story they came up with. Number two, if, in fact, somebody did awake and noticed it was the disciples stealing the body, these are guards. You think they're just going to let them steal the body? If they truly knew it was the disciples, why aren't they conducting a search? There's no record of the soldiers or even the religious leaders conducting a search for Jesus, for the body. Isn't that interesting? Nothing. And in fact, they don't even say, oh my gosh, what do you mean you let him go? They don't even deny that he's gone. They just say, make up this story that the disciples stole the body. We're going to pay you money. And that's our story. We're going to go with that and we'll back you up. They aren't outraged and say, well, gosh, it had to have been the disciples. Let's go find the disciples and bring them to justice, you know, and look for the body and interrogate them. Let's have an investigation. Nothing is said at all like that. And when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think it's verse 4, it says that the religious leaders have just been blinded by Satan. By the way, we don't even see them denying that the tomb has been vacated. You don't see them denying even the resurrection, although they don't believe it. But they need a lie to explain what had happened. They still can't see the prophecy that they all are well aware of in the Old Testament. Remember, these are the religious leaders. They can't connect Jesus' words and even see that they were true. And instead, they just go and pay off these guards to lie about what happened. What happens to guards when they confess they're asleep? What normally happens is they get their heads cut off. They're dead. But these religious leaders say, don't worry, we'll protect you from Rome. Just go with this story and we got your back. And so this story then is these soldiers are going to be the first to preach an anti-gospel message. So they didn't even think that they needed a savior either. Very interesting. So verse 15, it says, And the soldiers took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews as it is to this day. So this day means approximately 30 years later when this gospel was written. But it still exists today. It continues They never even made an attempt to go try to find the body. There's no record of them even beginning an investigation to look for the body. Verse 16 says, But, which really means then, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, as they were instructed, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. So some came to faith immediately, but we can see some are still trying to figure out what's going on, but others believed. 
And again, this timing is about 20 to 35 days after his resurrection. By this time, Jesus has been seen by lots of disciples. I'll give you a few verses that you can go back and look at if you want. That evening, when the women went back to tell him, you can go look in John chapter 20, verse 19. All 11 disciples saw him. That's what I read just a minute ago. Thomas was not present then. And then eight days later, in John chapter 20, verse 26, he appears to all 11 disciples, and that's when Thomas then believed. And later on, seven disciples are all fishing. You can read that in John 21, verse 1, and Jesus appears to them. And then he appears to more than 500 people. His appearances were over 40 days, but he appeared to more than 500 people. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Let me just read that to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So at least one of them was Stephen, had been stoned by that time. We saw that in Acts 7 by the time this was written. So he appeared to all of these people. And if we continue on in this 1 Corinthians, it says, Then he appeared to James, which is the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, being Paul. So Jesus had lots of appearances to lots of people over these 40 days. And yet the Jewish leaders don't believe it. They could have gone and talked to all these people, but they just choose to make up this story and say the body was stolen. Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them all saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Again, this is about 20 or 35 days after his resurrection. And here's his commandment. This is the great commission as it's been called. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples. So when you go look at the original text, that can be interpreted to mean as you were going. So it's like as you're going, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you need to be making disciples. And what's a disciple? A disciple is a learner, follower, and reproducer. So to be a disciple, not only do you follow Jesus, not only are you learning and growing in your faith, but you're a reproducer. You're going and making other disciples. That's what Jesus has commanded us to do. And he says, make disciples of all the nations. So that means everyone, Jew and Gentile. Go make disciple makers of all the nations. That's the first thing he tells us to do. Number two, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So after you come to faith, then baptize them. And you want more scripture on that? Go look at Mark 16, 16. That's the process. First, you come to faith, then you get baptized. You're not going to find any verses in the Bible where they baptized infants or sprinkled infants. You only baptize people once they have the mental capacity to understand and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what we're commanded to do. And when we do it, notice Jesus says, here's a reference to the Holy Trinity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of the Trinity. Verse 20, here's the third thing that he's commanding us to do. So first, we make disciples, we baptize them, and then we teach them to observe, which means obey, all that I commanded you. That's what we do. It's not just telling them, it's not just sharing the gospel with them, but it's teaching them and edifying them. This is to existing believers. Help them grow. 
And Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us to help us do this. But this is what he commanded us to do. And this is how Matthew ends his gospel. This must be pretty important. These are the last words that Matthew recorded. So it is important. Now, before I close this out, let me just, because I do want you to sort of see, and we have time to do that. Flip over to Acts 1. That's over to the right. It'll be after all four Gospels, Acts 1. And just let me read in Acts, which is sort of the final appearance of Jesus Christ. And I'll begin in verse 1. The first account I composed, okay, let me back up. This is Luke. This is Luke talking, and he's saying the first account he composed was the Gospel of Luke. If you look at Acts, it's kind of like Luke book number two that was written by Luke. And he did this because Theophilus, that is referenced here, likely a high-ranking Roman official, he was a believer, he was a Greek, he wanted Luke to research all of this and tell him what all had happened. And so this is why Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke as well as Acts of the Apostles. Luke was not an apostle. So he says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, meaning ascended to the right hand of God, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, that's where the 40 days comes from, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he, being Jesus, said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men, and these are angels, in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away, so about a week away. So as I just kind of wrap up what we've studied this morning in this lesson, Jesus clearly conquered death and resurrected from the dead. He is alive. Jesus' sacrifice to pay for our sins was clearly accepted by God the Father who raised him up on the third day, just as I pointed out in some of the verses. And Jesus is the Son of God. That's our salvation. We now have eternal life and forgiveness of our sins through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's now available to us. We just have to accept it and receive the gift through God's grace. And what's amazing is how many prophecies were fulfilled. As we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, I've tried to point out 
many of those from the Old Testament that were fulfilled through Jesus, through his life here. And yet at the same time, we read in John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, for each one of us as a believer. And how awesome. I mean, Jesus, his father was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Who better to go prepare an unbelievable place for us and to think we won't ever have to move again. Jesus is preparing a place for every believer. We're to be available to God, submit and obey. And he left us here with orders to go and reach others for his kingdom. So I just ask each of you and anyone listening today, are we allowing God to work through us to reach and teach others? Are we pouring our life into others to help them grow and mature and teaching them what we know about of what has been revealed to us in the Bible? We're to make disciples as we are going, and we're to baptize and teach others what we've been given through God's grace the knowledge of. It's important that we go get baptized. Baptized means immerse. If you say, yes, I was baptized, but you weren't immersed in water, you weren't baptized. That'd be like saying, I went swimming today. All you did was walk to the pool. You didn't get in the pool. You didn't go swimming. To get baptized, you've got to be immersed. And if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do that. If I can help you, I'll baptize you. Or I can help you find somebody to baptize you. But do that to honor God. It's not a salvation thing. We've talked about this before. Baptism doesn't give you your salvation. And we know that because as Jesus was dying on the cross, he turned to the criminal next to him who at the last moment there on the cross put his faith in Jesus. And he said, you'll be with me in heaven today. And that criminal didn't get down off the cross and go get baptized. At least there's no record of that. I don't think he could have done that. So it's not a requirement for salvation, but it is something that Jesus commanded us. Here, you can see, he says, go get baptized after you've come to faith. So we should all do that to honor Jesus and to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. And what I love is how Matthew closes this out. Jesus is with us every step of the way. It's his authority that empowers us. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we can rely on what Jesus has promised to us. And as we make new disciples with the Holy Spirit working in and through us to do that, it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit doing the work, not us. We just make ourselves available for that. So let me open it up for discussion. What questions or comments do you have today as we wrap up this incredible Gospel of Matthew? Larry, I have a question back in actually verse 1. I always thought that the other Mary could have been Jesus' mother, and I think that because Matthew thirteen fifty five says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So is that Mary back in 28-1, the other Mary, it, maybe not his mother? Or do it, we know? It, it could be. We don't know. The real answer is we don't know. But you would think that Matthew would maybe give a little more detail if it was Jesus's mother. The fact that it's just the other Mary, and that's how this other Mary is referred to. You know, if you go up, just go up a little bit, chapter 27, verse 56, okay? And it says, among whom was Mary Magdalene, so you got that covered, along with Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, okay? So there's the other Mary, and then you've got the mother, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. That's a reference to Mother Mary's sister named Salome, okay? 
So you have that. And then in the same chapter, you know, just a few verses down, look in 61. It says, and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary were sitting opposite the grave. This is just, what is that? Five verses down. It's referring to the other Mary. You see that? And then remember, there weren't chapters and verses. So just almost like another five verses down. Again, this reference to the other Mary. And so that makes you sort of think he keeps calling this other Mary more likely the mother of James and Joseph. I can also direct you over to, let's just go look at Mark uh, 16.1. I think it has some references to who's there. Mark 16.1. And it says, And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, okay, so that's probably the other Mary, and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. You see that? Isn't James' brother... Isn't Jesus's? Well, it's confusing because there's lots of Jameses. And there's two disciples named James, okay? And then there's a third James, which is Jesus' half-brother, who's not a disciple, but who wrote the epistle of James, okay? So it can be very confusing. A lot of Marys, a lot of James. Lots of Marys and lots of James, yes. I mean, I can't tell you for sure, but when you piece all that together and you see these other references to this other Mary... She may have been there, that's possible, but I don't think that these writers are referring to her as the other Mary. The only reason I say that is because these other references are to another Mary, not the mother Mary. Hope that helps. Okay, thank you. It's a good question, though, because I struggled with that for quite some time myself. Oh, by the way, let me also show you this. Look at Mark 15, verse 47. And it says, And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, which is Joseph, we're looking on to see where he was laid. So there's all these references to this other Mary, who is the mother of James and Joseph, by the way. She's mother of both. Hope that helps. I never knew that the stone was moved away so that people could look in. Yes, Jesus is already gone. And so the stone is moved away by the angel so that these women can look in and see that he's been raised from the dead. And then later, Peter and John show up and look in. So the stone was moved to allow people to go see that he had been risen from the dead. Jesus is all-powerful. I mean, if he's going to raise from the dead, he doesn't need an angel moving the stone. But that's good. A lot of people don't know that. Who were the two sons, the mother of the sons of Zebedee? Who were those two sons? James and John. I find it kind of fascinating that this book written by Matthew, who was a, a Jewish tax collector, it was actually despised by the Jews. He's the guy that's, that's writing this book and capturing all this. Exactly. I don't think I ever realized that I thought that the angels moved the stone so Jesus could get out. I never realized that he was already gone. Yeah, he's clearly already gone. I never realized that. Yeah, I, didn't, I never fully grasped that piece. And just all the detail that you see on the burial cloth, how it's all wrapped up very neatly. And first of all, if somebody's going to steal the body, they're probably not going to sit there and unwrap the body, I'm thinking. And the fact that it was all so delicately rolled up and put in separate places and very intentional is just further evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And there's guards guarding the tomb. They're worried somebody's going to come steal the body. It's got a stone in front. It's sealed. Do we know the site of the tomb? 
Not exactly. There's places when I was there, you can go into some places where they say the tomb was right in this area, but they don't know the exact tomb. But I went into one that they said this might have been it or certainly looked like this. The most amazing thing to me and it's all right in the same area, very close to where the cross was. I knew about these two earthquakes, but when you go in, there's a church there now, and you kind of climb down into this little area, and you can view down where they say the cross was. Well, it might have been right there. What just blew me away and stood the hair up on the back of my... I mean, I got chills when I saw it. When I'm looking down in this little area, it's sort of like under an altar. The first thing I saw were all these cracks that I studied some geology and engineering, I knew that those cracks were from an earthquake. And nobody had told me of that. They just said, yeah, go up and this is kind of the area you can look in there. Nobody told me, and oh, be sure and look at the cracks, which were from the earthquake. So I might not have been right at the precise spot, but man, I was close to the area. When I saw those cracks in the rock, I mean, this is hard, hard rock. Clearly from an earthquake, I'm just going, oh my gosh. I cannot believe I'm just right here where this happened. It just, I mean, I'm getting chills again thinking about it. It was just an unbelievable sensation. So Larry, when are we taking a trip to the Holy Land? Yeah, we need to. I'll tell you what, if you haven't done it, it just brings all of this to life. Even when you go walk the 12 stations of the cross, which again, aren't probably precisely where each of those events happen, but it's close. I mean, you're right in the area. I mean, clearly you're in the area and walking in the Garden of Gethsemane and it brings to life the whole Bible. It is transformative. If you ever have the opportunity to do it, I highly recommend you do it. What about making disciples? Great commission. Yeah, we're all called to do it. I know we talk about this a lot. I'd just like to encourage each of you to pray to the Holy Spirit and just say, would you please just tap on my heart? Make it really obvious to me if you want me to say something to a family member, friend, whatever. Use me. Work in and through me to change somebody's eternity. What a gift you could give to somebody when you do that. Helping somebody change their eternity. Brings to my mind, I've shared this with you before, but some of you maybe haven't heard it because some of you have joined our group more recently, but I had this dream nightmare one time where I had died and I was getting ready to go through the gates to heaven and I was in line and I was so excited. It's like, yes, yes, I can't wait. And I heard some people yelling my voice saying, Larry, Larry. And I looked over across this abyss and there was another line and other people were in that line and they were clearly going to hell. And it was family members and friends. And thank goodness when I woke up, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I still recall when I woke up, there were people I knew very well. And they were saying, Larry, Larry, why didn't you tell us when we had the opportunity, when we were all alive, why didn't you tell us what we needed to do so we could be in that line with you? We thought you loved us. And that has stuck with me. It's just something to think about. I wake up. I try to do it every day. Wake up and say, Lord, if there's somebody you want me to speak to or share my story with or share the gospel with, or just put somebody in my path today and knock on my heart when it's time. You know, wake me up and tell me to go to work. What an honor and privilege it is. So I encourage you to do the same. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. 
You can also sign up to receive this podcast and my weekly blog by sending a text to 56316, type Larry in the text box, and hit send. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.